So we are back with another episode of the Happy Astronaut Podcast. The first couple episodes, um, I actually didn't do what I originally said I, I t- intended to, which was speak to some of the pieces in my blog. But this episode is actually going to be the first blog that I ever posted on my personal blog page, johnwilliams.blog, um, about why I'm a happy person. Now, I promise this is probably going to start a little dark and then get a little more upbeat later on. Um, but it, at the moment, I'm an incredibly happy person. But that wasn't always the case. I've dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts since I was about 12. And that didn't go away until I was 21. So I spent about nine years dealing with those depressive episodes. And depression itself is a, a lonely affair. Nobody knew I was dealing with it. I told nobody. I didn't want people to think that I was weak. I didn't want to let down my parents who had only done right by me. I didn't want to be another statistic. We hear depression statistics all the time. I didn't want to just be another number. And I didn't want to have depression. The reality of this situation was I didn't like that I was depressed. Nobody who is depressed, I think, enjoys it. Although I do think there are people out there who search for suffering as opposed to trying to mitigate it. Um, I really wanted to be happy. I thought, for me, the two most important things were being wealthy and happy. And if I could achieve those two things, I will have done well. And I was unhappy for such a long period of time that I didn't want to tell anybody because telling people would make it feel real. It would make it feel like I'm actually failing at the thing that I'm supposed to be working towards. Depression for me was all internal. There may have been a chemical imbalance that some other people with depression deal with. And I don't mean to disregard this whatsoever. Um, There's pretty clear-cut science on chemical imbalances leading to uh, either depressive episodes or long-term depression. And people can take drugs to handle that. But that wasn't my struggle, I don't think. I never took drugs to mitigate the effects of depression. Uh, Like I said, I I literally told nobody until I wrote this blog. For me, my struggle was not being able to accept who I was. And it was also a struggle of a lack of purpose. Growing up, I hated school. So obviously the periods of 9 through, or 12 rather, through 21 were periods that I was in school the entire time between, you know, Uh, elementary school, middle school, and then later on college. And I thought that every day was supposed to be suffering because that's all I ever knew was going to school, hating it, waking up, not wanting to be there, and then just being excited to go to bed that night. And it wasn't until I got into the real world where I found my purpose through a lot of the work that I do that I became a lot happier. Now, I I do want to speak about my experiences of depression at a later time. I want to discuss what it's like to have suicidal thoughts. I do want to go through some of the stories because I think a lot of people don't realize how many people in their lives have these stories. And they're pretty powerful and they're pretty scary. That's a conversation for another day. I'm actually writing a blog about it at the moment, and I will speak to that. Um, here on the podcast soon. But today I'm an incredibly happy person. I'm actually quite possibly the happiest person that I know. 
I haven't measured that through any tangible metrics. But when I look around at how I view the world and how I wake up in the morning and how other people view the world and how they wake up in the morning, things seem to be different. And it's all been deliberate. Much of this actually began as a deliberate process. Well, really, since I realized I was depressed in the first place, I was always trying to figure out, well, how do I get happy? When I had graduated college, I listened to an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast and Naval Ravikant, the venture capitalist, founder of AngelList, was on the podcast and he spoke to happiness being a choice. And I was already in the process of becoming a happier person through purpose, but I realized I needed to set up principles for myself that would make it really concrete, that I could hold on to my happiness for an indefinite period of time and a sustained period of time. There are principles that I've developed that make my happiness a certainty. It does make it sustainable. The things that I was hoping for, I have built principles around to achieve. And so for the past about three years, I've been exceedingly happy, um, three and a half of mostly happiness. And I wrote these principles for the first time about, I don't know when it was, it was probably a year ago. Um, I was sitting outside of the gym waiting for one of my personal training clients to show up. It's about 5.30 in the morning. And I just had this sudden moment. I was driving to the gym in the car that morning. It's about a 30-minute drive from my home to the gym. And I was like, man, I, I really need to speak to this because I'm finally at a point where I'm no longer embarrassed by it, nor am I even affected by the depressive episodes anymore. And I, I really want to speak to this experience. And I want to speak to how I'm not depressed because I think it might help somebody who is. So I get out of the car and I immediately open up Twitter. I actually, I, I don't think I opened up Twitter. I, I opened up my notes app. I, I use Google Keep for note taking. And I just started typing away in my phone as I'm walking to the door to the gym. Um, all the principles just off the top of my head. And again, it's like 530 in the morning. I'm sitting on the bench waiting for the client to show up. I'm just typing away. And I actually got it all done before my client showed up. And then later that day, I turned it into a Twitter thread. And then later on, I actually turned it into a blog post that was the inspiration for me to start my own personal blog page. Because at the time, I was writing a blog on health and fitness, and I didn't really see this type of content fitting in there. I didn't want to take away from the business. I wanted to have a, my own place where I could speak to these types of topics. So there are principles, like I said. The principles are in that blog. They're in that Twitter thread. But I'm going to list them out all right here and discuss them a little bit. The first principle. Now, these aren't in any sort of specific order. I'm not going to go one, two, three, four, five. Um, they're all equally important. Some might sustain longer than others, but these feel like the bedrock. They feel like the foundation of where my happiness is at the moment. The first one is I am fit. I exercise efficiently, effectively, and love the process of training. One of the things I see many people complain about in life is their health. They complain that they're in poor health. They complain that they're out of breath. They complain that their joints hurt. They complain that um, their muscles ache. I don't have that experience, although I have dealt with it for quite some time. 
I personally dealt with lower back pain for quite a long period, about four years of pretty severe and debilitating lower back pain. But pain is not a function of age, right? I was 18 to 22 dealing with lower back pain. Most people would consider that ridiculous. Where if you're 60 and you're dealing with lower back pain, that's normal, right? But pain is actually a function of how fit you are, how good of shape your joints and your muscles are in, and how well you move. So getting out of um, pain was one of the most fundamental things for my happiness because being able to move around well and feel young is just an incredible feeling. Being able to be fit, exercise efficiently and effectively, and actually enjoy that process really makes it um, all that much better. Number two, I eat very well, but don't torture myself through a hyper-strict diet. Uh, My girlfriend, who's actually in the chat at the moment, knows what it's like when I was on a cut dealing with a hyper-strict diet. And it's definitely a less happy time because you're just hungry all the time. And at the same moment, uh, you're, you're really seeking a goal that is probably a little too vain for sustainable internal peace. And when I'm not doing that, when I'm not on a cut trying to decrease my body fat, having a very careful, well-thought-out diet that also allows for some wiggle room keeps me healthy as we spoke to, keeps me feeling really good, but doesn't keep me in mental distress where I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm just hungry all the time. It's not a happy place to be. I am an optimist. I believe there is good in every outcome. I continue to train my brain to see the positive in any situation. The shift to optimism in life was very fundamental to becoming a happier person. Now, this isn't delusional optimism. This isn't I can live forever and at the same time it's you know I'll be able to fly to Mars with Elon. This is rational optimism. It's the belief that humans are good, we create knowledge, we will do good unto the world, and there is good in every outcome, even the most terrible ones. Somebody passes away, uh, somebody gets really injured, you yourself get really injured or sick. There's always a learning lesson or there's always a silver lining. And when you start to seek the silver lining, it actually becomes very easy to see them because they're all around us. Number four, I act on conflict swiftly. I do not like conflict and long-term stress. I either solve the problem if it is important or let it dissolve if it is not. This is a, a really important one because stress covers us if we allow it to. If we have conflicts with people that we are not acting on, that we are just letting sit out there in the ether, if we are letting bad relationships fester, which I have done many times, if we do not have the conversations that we need to have with the people that we need to have them with, we can just get bogged down by the stress, at least I have, and it's truly miserable. I've had many bad relationships with friends, with girlfriends, with my parents, and dealing with that, or not dealing with it rather, makes life a lot worse. 
But when you either do one of two things, which is act on it or disregard it entirely, life becomes a lot better. If you like this friend, you feel like the relationship is valuable, but you're going through a hard time, trying to work out the issues as soon as possible is going to make you feel a lot better and decrease the stress in your life. If you realize that these problems are continuous and this friend is no longer somebody who's valuable to have in your life, then it's probably something you can disregard and let it go. Right? You don't have to solve every problem if the problems are not necessary to be solved. Number five, and I'm definitely going to lose count of the numbers because I didn't put numbers next to these because, like I said, they're not in any sort of order. So at some point, I might just forego the numbers entirely. I do not accept anyone else's idea of how I should live my life. I don't take suggestions if I've already decided that that suggestion has been proven wrong for me. All advice cancels to zero. If we go around polling everybody on every decision we make, every character judgment we make, whatever the case might be, what am I going to wear today? We're just going to get a whole bunch of conflicting opinions or opinions that never agree with us at all. You can't go around accepting that the society's view of how you should be is how you actually feel that you should be. I did this for a long period of time. But now I ask for advice simply as a measuring stick. Do I feel like I'm off? Is there something about this person's opinion that's going to give me a new perspective that can help me navigate the waters differently? I take all the advice. I disregard almost all of it, if not all of it. And I end up making my own decision anyway. If somebody's suggestion has been proven wrong and they keep making the suggestion over and over again, I just tell them, I'm not going to do that. That's not something I'm looking to do. It's not going to improve the quality of my life. Thank you, but I'm okay. Number six, I don't experience any fear of missing out. A lot of people tell me, make sure to enjoy yourself. If someone can't tell that I'm enjoying myself, that's their problem, not mine. This is very common for people to look around at the fun, quote unquote, that other individuals are having or the success other individuals are having, compare it to themselves, and then realize that they wish that they were having that sort of fun or that sort of success. It was actually Louis C.K., the now unfortunately defamed comedian, who had a very strong quote, and it really kind of hit me probably when I was like 16 or 17. It was everybody's movie unfolds at its own pace. And I realized that I can no longer be using other people as measuring sticks for my own success, my own happiness, and the things that I find enjoyable. A lot of people enjoy going to school. I hate school. My girlfriend's in the chat right now. She loves school. So she's happy when she's in a classroom. I hate it. So everybody's opinion of what fun is looks different. My kind of fun looks like I'm sitting on the computer all day with a furred brow, but I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying thinking through the problems that I'm thinking through. If I'm sitting there reading a book and I don't have a smile on my face, I'm sitting and reading. I'm probably enjoying myself in the time that I'm having reading. If I'm at the gym grunting and exercising, I'm probably enjoying myself there too. So if somebody's like, hey, you need to go and enjoy yourself more, you need to go do whatever it is that you would enjoy um, that looks like enjoyment to us, 
Well, that's their opinion. That's their idea of what fun is. Your idea of what fun is is internal. It's not external. Number seven, I think. I do what I want when I want. If I don't want to work on something, I realize it probably won't serve me well in the long term. This is foundational. I've owned my own company now for, we're going on two years. Um, and that freedom to wake up and decide what problems you're going to solve, regardless of what other problems people want you to solve for them, is an amazing freedom that I will never forego ever again in my life. I will never work for anybody simply because the freedom's too good. And what I've realized through this process is if I don't like solving a problem, the problem might have value to somebody, right? The solution might have value to somebody and I could provide that solution to them. Maybe I'm capable. But if it's not fun, it's probably not going to serve me well long-term and it's probably going to be a short-term game that I'm just going to end up burning out on. So now I only work on the things that I find enjoyable because they're the things that I can work on for a sustained period of time. Number eight, I don't plan often. I have an idea of what I like to do, and then I do it if I still want to. This is important because planning, as I said in the last podcast um, about the 25 things I've learned when I turned 25, planning is the thing that restricts action. If you plan too much, you stop actually doing stuff and not being able to do things is the thing that is going to make you forget what you're supposed to be doing in the first place, right? It negates the previous point that I made. So if I go around planning too much, as many people have told me to do, um, I would never have actually tried anything And the act of trying and experimenting was, has been the thing that's made me realize what I actually enjoy doing in the first place. Number eight, other people's perceptions of me matters very little. It only matters when I want them to see my vision and I think they can help me achieve the goal that my vision calls for. I don't take external criticism if it doesn't apply. Criticism is a window into progress. But if I don't find that progress useful, or if I don't find that criticism useful, rather, um, then I just disregard it. So People's external perception of me does not matter unless I find it useful to progress with. And if they can't help me achieve the goals I'm looking to achieve, then their criticism really has no impact or bearing on how I feel. I keep a tight circle. I don't dedicate my time to people who don't elevate my state of being. I really have very few friends and that's been deliberate. There's been people who have been my friends who I decided that relationship is no longer going to be a part of what we do. When I have dated girls in the past, I don't date. I don't, I'm not going to go on many dates with somebody who I've decided that, hey, this just isn't going to work out. And I'm not going to call you later. I'm not going to text you and become you know, just friends for no reason unless I think that the potential of this relationship is so good um, that it's worth continuing. This has made me focus my time on the things that I need to focus my time on, where I see a lot of other people focus time on people who not only irritate them, frustrate them, and upset them, but they also don't even really like being around to begin with. Time is limited. We only get so much of it. We might as well spend it with the people that we truly enjoy. That was number nine. So this is number 10. I sleep well, 
I don't go to bed with stress. I get the amount of sleep that I need. I don't consume caffeine because I don't need to. And the caffeine piece of this is just as important, I believe, now through some of the research that I've done. And I will speak to this in a later episode um, as the sleep itself. So I've actually shifted my whole entire sleep schedule because as a personal trainer, you have to be up like crazy early in the morning, like 430 in the morning. And then, you know, you still have to be up pretty late at night because you'll have clients like six or seven. So you just kind of screw up your whole sleep schedule. You have very little time for yourself. But what I've done since I've stopped being a personal trainer is I've just shifted my sleep schedule to my natural circadian rhythm, which seems to be about 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. is when I sleep and then I'm up obviously for the other hours. The sleep is so key to my happiness. When I was in high school, I almost didn't sleep at all. I'd get three or four hours every single night, get up, go to school, fall asleep in class, be miserable, lash out at people come back, have a hard time focusing on my homework, and then repeat the whole cycle again. And a lot of the reasons I didn't get much sleep is because I spent a lot of time looking at screens. I was on my phone a lot. I played a lot of video games. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, and that would keep me up. Um, But now I read at night, and I pass out pretty easily. But I also ensure that, let's say I went to bed at a certain time and it was a little bit too late, I will cancel my meeting for the next day, the next morning if it's too early for me to get a full night's sleep because sleep to me is just that important. It's the thing that keeps me going. It's the thing that keeps me happy and it's the thing that keeps me alert and on task. Number 10, 10, 11. Uh, I knew this was going to happen. Another number that's not one through eight. Um, I have chosen a career that aligns with my strengths and also my passions. What looks like work to me or what looks like work to others, rather, feels like play to me. And this is a straight out of the Naval textbook. Um, but I also always realized that this was true, and it just Naval puts it a lot better than I could. Of course, that's an intelligence thing. And I always knew growing up that people were uniquely good at something, and that's something that they're uniquely good at probably is going to be something they, they enjoy doing as well. So I was always seeking the thing that I enjoyed, like I said, I hated school and I was in school for obviously my whole life up until I was 22. And trying to find that pathway into the thing that I enjoyed was so, so important. So it started as me being a personal trainer. And then once I took my enjoyment from that, I then transferred to it, um, transferred it to what I'm doing now, which is owning a fitness technology company. So I'm extremely passionate about fitness. I'm extremely passionate about technology, startups business, all those sorts of fun things, and and really helping uh, other fitness content creators grow. I'm super excited to put my efforts towards that. But at some point, my desires are going to shift away from that as well. And I want to um, continue on a new path. I stay busy, but not overwhelmed. I don't like to be bored, but I don't like constant pressure. So I operate in between those two. The past few days are a good example of this. I was working from very early in the morning until very late at night. And then today, I just decided, you know what? We need to slow it down a little bit, read a lot more today, enjoy myself. Maybe I'll do some writing. Maybe I'll just spend some time chatting to people on uh, on Twitter. And that's what I've done. So I never push the gas too hard, and I never uh, pull off it completely. I like to feel like I have purpose and I have motivation, um, but I don't like that motivation to turn into just me burning out. A good example of this very recently, the company Bolt, which is a $4 billion uh, company. I don't know what the founder's name is, but he just put up a Twitter thread yesterday 
about how they're shifting to a four at or a four day work week. And their goal is actually to increase productivity through working less days because they want to work at a high intensity for a short period of time and then rest, work at a high intensity and then rest, sort of work like a lion um, and not like a cow. And I think that that's a better model. It's definitely been more enjoyable for me to work when I'm inspired and then rest when I'm not or read when I'm not. And it's it's been something that has alleviated that constant burden of, oh, I need to be working. I need to be constantly outputting 12-hour days because it's just not possible. Um, the next one, I avoid big groups. I don't like them. If I like them, I would try to have big groups around me more often. The first piece of this is just re- reality. I hate big groups. I hate parties. I don't want to be at a club. Um, unless I'm with there, there with somebody who I'm intimately involved with, right? We went there together for the express purpose of being together around more people. That's okay to me, but I'm not going to a party in which I have to navigate some sort of social environment. It's just not fun. I'm not an extrovert in that sort of way. And for so long in my life, I thought that, okay, well, everybody else is going to these parties. I must too. And um, once I sort of let go of society's pressure on me to do the things that I thought it wanted me to do, it made me a lot happier. The reason I have the second point in here about if I like them, I would have big groups around me is just as a, um, you know, as a point to those that do enjoy big groups that I don't, you don't have to do what I do to be happy. Do what you like to be happy. If you like big groups and you're an extrovert and that gives you energy, uh, you go do that and, and find the awareness in yourself to know if you're that type of person. But for me, it's not my thing and I'm not going to put the pressure on myself to go and do that for no reason. I'm completely content with how I operate socially. I don't succumb to any norms. So again, this ties into the previous point about the big groups. I don't really care if society thinks that as a 25-year-old, I'm supposed to be out there partying and being around big groups and drinking alcohol and doing these things. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. And oftentimes, that's the case. That's not what I want to do. The next point here is I meditate daily. I'm aware of my thoughts. They come and go, and I'm usually indifferent. This process helps me achieve peace from mind. Again, peace from mind is another thing I heard from Naval. It's a very common theme through much of my life is just stealing things from Naval and then applying it to my own life and realizing that most of it works. So I do meditate daily. Um, it's been less than I would like to. It's been about 15 minutes a day. But even those moments of silence and introspection are moments where I just get to evaluate myself. And you don't really know yourself until you listen to your own mind speak to itself. And the process of meditating on a daily basis um, has just given me a constant understanding of the ebbs and flows and has actually made those ebbs and flows a little more neutral. So I can keep a consistent cadence on my happiness levels and my peace levels um, just from the act of sitting alone with myself. The next principle. Finding the positive in situations allows me to almost never be consumed by negative thoughts. Negative thoughts linger, positive thoughts dissolve quickly. So this goes back to an earlier principle about my optimism. And the reason that this is distinct because of that last line, negative thoughts linger, positive thoughts dissolve quickly. And this is true. 
if I were to insult you and tell you, hey, you look fat today, that would sit with you if you were self-conscious about your fatness. Now, if you were like thin and jacked and muscular, you'd be like, I don't care. You'd probably laugh it off. But if you were insecure about your fatness and I said, hey, fatty, you look fat, you would think about that. And you'd probably think about that for quite a long period of time. If I made fun of your hairdo, if I said your eye looks lazy or whatever the case might be, if I just said a cruel thing to you, those negative thoughts that I have now instilled within you, um, those are going to sit with you for much longer. But if I complimented your blouse or your pants, you would let that go immediately. Like, oh, thank you. That was a really nice thing. Maybe you go tell a friend, hey, you know, John said he liked my shirt. Um, but beyond that, you probably wouldn't think about it too much more. But those negative thoughts stick around. So optimism and not and finding the positive in all of these outcomes and all of these situations um, allows me to never be consumed by these negative thoughts. And I actually kind of enjoy it when people um, offend me because it's fun, especially when it's like my friends and we're just screwing around and they say something that is actually true. Like, oh, your outfit's ridiculous. Like I wear all black every single day. And people make fun of me for that. And I think it's hilarious because I enjoy the fact that I wear all black. It, I'm not insecure about it. And it's funny to see the external perception, but it's also just funny to rib other people. And when people I don't know make fun of me, well, that matters even less because I don't even know who you are. Your opinion matters uh, absolutely zero. The next principle here. I am constantly iterating. I don't believe that who I am or what I am doing is ever fully right. There's always a better way. Over the past three or so months, I've been keeping what I call the day score, which is a very literal interpretation of this exact principle. And what I do is I set positive and negative metrics that I track on a daily basis, and I give myself a goal to improve on on each, on each and every single day. And the cancellation between the positive and negative metrics give, gives me the score for the day. So let's say I you know, worked out, my workout was a 93, but I... Um, you know, I was really lazy and my lazy score was a, a 64. Um, well, the difference between those two is going to be my day score for the day. Obviously, those aren't my re- real metrics, but those are just some examples. And you can find this. I have another blog about this that you can read about, which I will discuss in a later uh, podcast. But this day score has been a very literal way for me to track iteration to track progress, to make sure that each and every single day I'm doing something different that makes me better. And I don't ever succumb to, hey, I was doing it this way before. Uh, if I found a better way to do it, I'm going to do it the better way. I don't want to get old. We see people get old and they reject technology. They reject new ways of doing things. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I really don't want to become that. And literally tracking that has made me a little more aware of the moments where I do get complacent and I do need to step outside of my comfort zone. I progress often. This keeps me proud. I like being proud. Also, this progress is measured by myself and nobody else. I'm not necessarily sure, since I did write this a while ago, I'm not necessarily sure pride is valuable. I actually think pride is one of those things that, um, speaking to the previous point, might limit my ability later on to continue to make progress. It's going to keep me set in my ways. If I'm proud about something, well, I might think that that's actually truly correct when um, really it's not. It's internally, I feel like it's more important than it actually was. And at some point when I'm proven wrong, that I need to disregard it. So I'm not necessarily sure pride anymore um, 
is a principle I need to stand by. So probably actually disagree with this point. But I do progress often. Like I said, I, I track my day score every single day. And I am the one measuring this progress. I have stopped caring about people's who who else is progressing, right? There's a there's a twelve year old on Twitter right now who I want to give him a shout out. It's at Barriquet. I think it's B-E-R-E-K-E-T. I could be wrong about that. And then there's another one, this kid, uh oh man, I forget, I forget his name too, but he's a sixteen year old. This is a twelve and a sixteen year old who are have sold numerous startups at this point. The 16-year-old is now a project manager at a pretty big tech company. The 12-year-old is a venture capitalist. Clearly, if those were my benchmarks, I would be doing horribly. Right? I'm starting my first tech company right now at 25. But that's not where I measure my success. I measure my success against myself in the past, and then I try to improve on it in the future. If I was measuring myself against those types of people, I would be miserable every single day. Uh, the next principle is I take compliments very seriously and criticisms less seriously. This was a point that I spoke about in the 25 things I learned at 25. Um, I do take compliments very seriously. If somebody says a nice thing about me, I really try to get excited about it. I try to actually flip the whole negative thoughts, linger, positive thoughts, uh, dissolve on its head. And I try, to ho- I try to keep positive thoughts around me and positive um, feelings and positive emotions that are usually elicited by a compliment, um, I'll take it very seriously and I'll, I'll deeply consider it. And I will try to even elevate the thing that somebody complimented me on. If they're like, hey, like you're just a really nice guy on a day that I just happen to be nicer than I was in the past. Um, I will try to continue to elevate my niceness because clearly that's something that that person saw value in. And it made me happy to hear that. And I want to hear that more often. I take criticism less seriously and not to say that criticisms are not valuable. As I said in the, the previous podcast, they're windows into progress. So they should be taking, taken um, as serious moments where you can reflect, but it's not going to impact my emotional state. It's just going to be a moment for me to weigh it against what I think I need to progress on. And if it has validity, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to try to change. So here's that that exact point. So the next principle, I view criticism as a window into potential progress as long as I agree with the criticism. If I don't, I forget about it. I believe I've spoken to this point a few times, so I'll move on to the next principle. I don't believe in an afterlife. My life is short and precious. It is not to be wasted being unhappy. When I was early on in college, I was probably about 20. I think I was a sophomore. I was laying in bed and... I just put two and two together where I thought, no, we don't know if this is true. There's clearly more to learn. Our knowledge is incomplete and forever will be. But I thought that, hey, I can't remember what it's like before life. After life is probably going to be the same thing. The lights turn off. There's nothingness. And there was a moment of existential dread where I was like, oh, my goodness. How am I going to deal with this moving forward? And it felt like life was very finite. I think it was Confucius who said, a man has two lives. The second one begins when he realizes he has only one. Well, that's when my second life had begun. When I realized, hey, uh, 
this is all you have. You need to maximize it. And that really started a lot of the trains of becoming a happier person around when I was 20 years old. The next principle. I realize how few things truly matter. Life is short and then we die. I want to enjoy the ride while I can. Again, going back to the first point, if life is so short, just enjoy it while you're here. You only get one of these things. This is the most important thing is to appreciate all of these moments. And you don't want to waste it being unhappy because you're just wasting all that you have. The next principle. I'm extremely grateful for what I have. Life could be a lot worse. I got lucky. I did. I I live, you know, right now I'm actually living with my parents, which is always fun to say. Um, but, you know, I have great parents who've supported me. And at the same time, you know, I grew up in a loving, caring household who had enough money where nothing was really a big deal. And beyond that, I've started businesses that have been successful. I'm starting one right now where I get to take a risk that not a lot of people get to take and do something. And yeah, I just got lucky. And I'm, I just wake up every day just grateful for everything that I have. And reflecting on that all the time is something that definitely keeps me happy. The last principle here, and again, these were no in, in no specific order, but I tell people how happy I am. When somebody asks me how I'm doing, I respond, great, amazing, phenomenal, etc. This social proof binds me to the idea that I am happy. This one's actually very entertaining. People will laugh at you when you start doing it, and they'll laugh at you throughout any of the process. But then soon you'll notice a shift. At first, they kind of laugh, and they're like, oh, that's so funny. Like, whatever. Because most people just respond, good. Oh, how are you? I'm good. It's never accurate. Um, but when you elevate it to great, phenomenal, I'm out of this world, people are like, what is wrong with this person? But then the more and more you say it, they're like, man, you know, I really like talking to you just because you're so happy. And that little moment of reflection is something that just, it seems trite, it seems trivial, but it actually does uh, make me a little bit happier just from the act of expressing it. So that's it. So those are the principles. I don't know how many there were. Um, it probably looks very similar to the last list that I did, the 25 things um, I learned at 25, although obviously more geared to the literal principles of happiness, which you know are some of the most, the most important principles that we should live by. Again, we only can be here once. And to do that and be here only one time and have it be a miserable experience in which you're unhappy the whole time and doing things you'd rather not be doing and just waiting for the day to be over so you can go to sleep is not the appropriate way to spend the limited time that you have here. So that's it. Um, thank you, Laura, for being here. Um, I hope a few more people get to watch this and, and uh, you know maybe take something valuable from these principles. Hey, actually, Laura, since we're here, I don't know how some of these call-in features work. So do you mind trying to call in to this uh, show and see what happens. Okay. Do you have any questions as we wrap up the show? <laughs> I do have a question. Um, Go for it. Do you think you're going to expand on why you're a happy person, or will things change? Or are these your like your solid core reasons, and maybe it'll get longer or shorter? As I read through them, they still feel foundational. They still feel like the bedrock. I think there's a couple that are probably redundant that I could actually eliminate to make more foundational, more fundamental. 
now that I view them, as I said, the one about being proud uh, is probably no longer applies. I think differently about pride, but knowledge is you know, we are it, infinite in our ignorance. So it is absolutely probably the case moving forward that I will change some, if not many of these. I think some are going to probably stick around for most of the rest of the time, but we'll see what happens.